All right, so we're going to continue our series today, Relationship Status. Week one, I talked about the source of successful relationships. Main points I hit on is our, our most important relational needs can only come from God, not from other people, and how the Holy Spirit helps us to succeed in our relationships, and we can all personally experience the Lord. And in week two, last week, Pastor Todd talked about taking our relationships to a whole new level. And Pastor Todd talked about the way that you do that is by loving without restraint, that agape love, amen, that different ways that we love, uh, you know, it, it's how we take our, our relationships to another level. So today in week three, we're going to start, if you're in Exodus 15, 22, I'm reading out of the Amplified Version says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went a distance of three days, about 33 miles in the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Merah, but they could not drink its water because the because they were bitter and it was named Merah, which means bitter. The people grew discontented and grumbled at Moses saying, what are we going to drink? Then he cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him a tree a branch of which he threw into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is awesome, living and true, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Speak to me and through me as I preach today. Speak to all of us to receive this word and apply it to our lives and our relationships so we can flourish, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. See, on their desert journey, Israel came to a bitter, toxic lake, named Merah, which again, in Hebrew, the word means bitter. That's why they named it that. They tried to drink the water, but it was too polluted. See, the water may have been like that of the Dead Sea, which has a high salt content that makes it bitter. The natural reaction would, uh, in attempting to drink it would have been to reject the water and spit it out, as which they did. So God shows Moses this tree, and he throws it into the water, and the water became clear, sweet, and drinkable. Again, what does this have to do with relationships? You remember two weeks ago, it was a well. We used the, the, the well, the woman at the well, as a backdrop to talk about relationships. Now let's use this bitter lake of Merah to, to, to uh, look at our relationships in our lives. See, relationships can turn toxic. The release of bitterness, hurt, abuse, betrayal, anger, etc. can completely pollute a relationship environment. So I'm just using this, this uh, story as a, as a picture here, as a backdrop. See, when the water at Merah was too toxic to drink, the people complained and they turned on Moses, their fearless leader who they were in relationship with. Moses, on the other hand, turned to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him what to do. See, when people become discontented and bitter in relationships, they often turn on the other person and reject that person in relationship. And that's what happened here. The water was bitter, so they became bitter and they turned on Moses. Thankfully, Moses didn't turn on him and, and, and bite back at him. He did in other places, but in this instance, he didn't. He actually prayed and asked the Lord for help. See, they were complaining. They were murmuring. Complaining doesn't solve problems. And we can't run away from difficult situations or relationships, especially in marriage. Now, this is, I'm gonna talk a lot about marriage today, but we have some, you can apply this to any relationship, but especially in marriages, we will meet the same problems in a new relationship and still have to solve them. We all probably know somebody, and it may even be you, and I, and, and 
I mean to step on your toes right out the gate, but if you run from one marriage because of problems to another one, a lot of times those same problems show up in a new marriage. Right? See, some scholars say that the tree that Moses threw into the water actually represents the cross. Right? Jesus was hung on a cross, cut from a tree. And so there was a problem. There was toxicity. There was bitterness in this water, unable for the people of Israel to drink and survive. So it's a picture of the cross. The Lord shows him to throw a tree into the water, and it made the water sweet and drinkable. See, if we turn to the Lord and ask for his help, he is able to heal any toxic relationship. Do you believe that? Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. Right. And then by his stripes on his back, he was beaten so we can be healed. A lot of times we quote that for physical healing, but that's emotional, that's mental. And I believe relational healing as well. Right. I think the Lord and know the Lord came to heal in every aspect. Right. So this morning, I want to give you three ways to help that you can help heal toxic relationships that you may either be in right now or maybe in in the future. First, number one, replace harshness with honor. First Peter 3, 7 says this, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. See, a lot of us husbands, I'm going to talk to, to, to the men here, the husbands, and me including, I'm going to say we, we have it backwards. A lot of times we can be harsh with our wives, children, and others that we're in relationships with instead of honoring them. Look what the Amplified Version says. Breaks it down even more and gets to the essence of what it, what, what the, the writer here, what Peter was trying to say in the original language. First Peter 3, 7. In the same way you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way with great gentleness and tact. Come on, gentlemen. I'm the first to admit I lack gentleness and tact sometimes. And with an intelligent regard for marriage, for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. So listen, I'm talking about healing. If you're in a toxic marriage right now, a toxic relationship, honor is one of the ways. Listen, if you're not and, and, and there's a lack of honor, you know what? Your prayers can be hindered or ineffective, right? Come on, men. Amen. Everything we just prayed for, listen, if we're not honoring our wives, the Bible makes it clear our, our, our prayers can have a block right there if we don't honor our wives. But let's look at the word honor. The word honor is a, a testimony of esteem, an expression of respect or high estimation by words or actions. It's an exalted rank or place. It's an, a, a distinction. So honor is not just what we say, it's what we do. I would encourage you to start with your words. You can start by honoring someone with your words, men, women, husbands, wives, everybody, right? But it's also with our actions. Husbands, we should honor our wives with our words, but also by protecting them and caring for them, right? It says because she is the weaker vessel or weaker physically. Now, I was debating if I was even going to say this. Most women are physically weaker, right? Because I knew I'd get some women looking at me like, brother, I could probably lift more than you. And you probably could. I know there's some women. I Trust me, I see professional athletes. I'm like... Man, I wish my shoulders looked like that. You know what I mean? Like, so not always. Most women, though, like in a marriage, is the Bible says they're a weaker vessel. So listen, it doesn't mean that you're less, ladies. It means that for us as men, the, the whole point of saying that was we should honor you by caring for you and by protecting you and helping you in those ways. Amen? So question, now let's turn it to everybody in marriage or in any relationship. Husbands, are you honoring your wife by how you treat them? 
And wives, are you honoring your husbands by your words and actions? Because I'm going to show you in a minute, this was addressed to the husbands, but it goes for the wives too, right? Are we honoring one another in our relationships? I'm going to start out this morning or continue to go with, and I like to, to do this to just to, to hopefully help you. Thursday morning, my wife and I got into an intense moment of fellowship. If you don't know what that means, that's an argument, okay? And that was Thursday morning. I get to the office later that morning, or actually I was literally getting dressed, leaving, it, it, to come to the office and begin preparing my message. And I started on Thursday and then continued on uh, in Friday. And I'm here, sitting here studying this scripture. Husbands, honor your wife. Be gentle. Show tact. I think the Lord has a sense of humor, right? I mean, it's like I, you know... And, and I realize, church, that, and I've apologized and confessed, but I'm using, I, I, I failed at honoring my wife on Thursday morning. I totally blew it. I didn't, I didn't handle that situation with gentleness and, and with tact and trying to care for her and, and protect her. We were in a disagreement and I failed. So listen, I know I have to work on it. How about you guys? I know I'm continuing. I'm, 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 a lot of times we preach what we're walking through ourselves. See, honor is looking past the person to the position they hold. See, husbands and wives must look beyond the weakness, failures, and imperfections of your spouse and look at the fact that they're made in the image of God. See, that's what honor is. And really, you know what? If you are in a toxic marriage or any kind of relationship, begin to honor the other person. Instead of being harsh and hard and critical and judgmental, begin to honor. See, I believe it will eventually turn that toxicity into tenderness. It may not happen overnight, but that toxicity will turn into tenderness. And again, like I've been saying, it's not only husbands and wives that should honor one another. The Bible commands us to honor everyone. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road here. First Peter second, first uh, Peter two, 17, look at this, says, honor all people. You know what that word all means? All. Thank you. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Peter may have been referring to uh, Jesus' balance statement back in Matthew twenty two twenty one about our duties as Christians, as believers, to honor both God, other believers, and even the government. You see that? And before you go anywhere in your mind, Peter was living under the Roman government at the time who was persecuting and killing Christians, dragging them into the Colosseum to get ripped limb by limb from lions as entertainment. And he said, honor the king. What is our excuse today? To honor anybody in authority. Because again, we're looking past the person into the position that they hold. And I'm talking from, from your boss at work all the way down to the highest level of government. See, if you show honor to any person, regardless of the ethnicity, gender, or position, the environment of that relationship will change. It will. See, and I believe that this is a the one of the biggest issues we have in America, why there's so much divisiveness, so much anger, and so much arguing, there's a lack of honor. There's a lack of honor. We have forgotten how to honor one another. We have forgotten how to honor each other in marriage, in relationships, at work, the government. And again, it's, it's not agreeing with, well, I, I disagree. I can't believe. I understand. I understand. But that's not what the Bible says. It says honor everyone. Honor the king. 
Honor is looking past the person to the position. It's hard. I know. I get it. It's, it's tough. But you know what? I believe if we honor, because that's what the Bible tells us to do, relationships would change. I think the, I think the dialogue on social media would change if people begin to honor. I think a lot would change if we begin to honor one another. Honor is not accepting. Honor is not agreeing. Honor is not condoning. It's looking past the person to the position that they hold. And the Bible tells us that we must honor all people, love our neighbors, fear God, honor all those around us. So if you're in a relationship that's toxic right now, begin to honor that person. Whether it's your marriage, friend, family, coworker, whatever it may be, and I believe things will go from toxic to tender over time. And with the Lord's help. Amen. That's why I titled this Ways to Help Heal a Relationship, because ultimately only the Lord can truly heal, but we have a part in it, right? Bible says we're co-laborers with Christ. Since we're the one in the relationship, we can't just, you know, sit back, you know, there's a saying, it's a little funny where people say, fix it, Jesus. Well, you know what? Jesus can fix it, but we got our part to play too, right? All right. Number two, forgive other people's faults. Forgive others' faults. I know we talk about this a lot, but I couldn't go talking about a relationship, a healing toxic relationships without talking about forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I love that line. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Apostle Paul describes the nature of the new life of people who have been saved by Christ. He's saying these virtues and activities can contribute to the peace and strength of all of our relationships. I love this because in this passage, he gives us three things to do that'll help before we even get to forgiveness. Right? If, if Even before we get there, I, I could do a whole message on just that. Let me go back to it. Tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then he goes on to say, hey, make allowance for one another's fault. In other words, I love this. What he's saying is make room in your hearts that people are going to hurt you. Make allowance for one another's fault. Sometimes we, we're blown away when somebody hurts us, especially those that are closest to us. And isn't it crazy? seems like the ones that are closest to us who, who hurts us the most or we hurt the most. But he says, look, make allowance, right? When you give your kids an allowance, you put aside a little money to give to them every week, Right. Make an allowance, make room, so to speak, that, you know what, for people's faults. But then it goes on to say, you must forgive him. Now, let's look at forgiveness. A lot of people have a hard time forgiving, even in the church, even in the body of Christ. An unforgiving heart may be the top five, one of the issues that people deal with. Marriages are affected by it, health is affected, and even generations are affected by unforgiveness. We see generations going on and on because there's been a bitterness or an unforgiving heart that's been passed down through generations. Matthew 18 is such a great chapter on forgiveness. It starts with the process of forgiveness in verse 15 and ends with Jesus telling the parable of the unforgiven servant. And this servant was forgiven, some say millions, some say even billions of dollars worth of money that this king forgave this servant. Just, just, I mean, quickly, plainly, very compassionately, he begs for forgiveness, please don't turn me over to the tormentors. King says, hey, your debt's forgiven. He forgives the servant and the servant goes out. I've even read and chokes a guy for about 25 bucks and says, you're going to pay me. Jesus tells this parable in light of all that we've been forgiven. And you can't even put a dollar amount. We've been forgiven an eternal debt, right? 
So why would we refuse to forgive others? Before Jesus told this parable, Peter was inquiring about forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Jesus says up to 490 times. Now you may be thinking, I got a few people in my life that are getting close to that right now, right? You might, you might have a couple of those folks, right? But listen, I hope you're not keeping count, by the way, because when you get to that 490, you ain't supposed to stop. Jesus was making a point. Matter of fact, the Jewish rabbis of the day had actually taught that you can forgive people up to three times. So Peter's like, I'm going to go above and beyond and say, so Jesus, now that, you know, New Testament, we're hanging with you now, we're learning this new way of life, should I forgive him up to seven? He said, no, 70 times seven. In other words, you're never going to stop forgiving people. That's That's the point that Jesus was getting to. So listen, just real quick, let's talk about forgiveness 101. I believe through this passage or through this chapter, you can see three things. Forgiveness is about conversations, decisions, and memories. Look at Matthew 18, 15. Jesus said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Hey, man, you hurt me. If that other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. I believe a conversation about forgiveness is not an argument, but it's not an attack either. It's an appeal. You're appealing to somebody to let them know. And it's it's a sincere desire to win back some ground in your relationship. We're talking about healing toxic relationships, right? It's That's an attempt. Jesus said you'll win your brother back. You can win your brother, sister, wife, co-worker, husband back in a genuine attempt to remove the source of ongoing offenses. Without that conversation, you just well may keep on being bitter. Now, let me give you a warning. We don't always advise to go to a person. A conversation doesn't always work because a person may not be ready to talk or to listen. You must be led by the Lord. And in some cases, some people have already died. You know you can still forgive somebody even if they've died? Because forgiveness is about releasing yourself. You're, you're, you're releasing them. And so if you're holding on to this unforgiveness, you're releasing And One of the greatest illustrations, you may have heard it, about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So even if the other person's gone and you've never talked to them again, you can still release them and forgive them. Next, forgiveness is about a decision. See, it's an act of the will, not emotions. I don't feel like forgiving them. Well, get in line. Most people that have been hurt don't feel like forgiving But it's a command. It's an act of the will. Matter of fact, the word forgive in Greek is a legal term. Forgive is a legal term. A verdict that's made in a court is not based on emotion at all, right? It's based on facts. And the fact is, is that Jesus told us to forgive. And the fact is, we've been forgiven an eternal debt. And again, I'm not, every time I talk about this, let me pause and say, listen, I'm not saying this is easy, church. Anybody watching online, I'm not saying this is easy. And I'm not downplaying what someone has done to you. I notice people sitting in this room and watching that have been horribly abused, neglected, betrayed uh, as a child, maybe even as an adult. And, and this is a process. Let me say this too. Forgiveness is a process. So I'm not, do you hear me? I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, just no big deal would happen. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you're in relationships that you're struggling with, especially if it's in a marriage or another, if it's somebody that's hurt you and you're holding unforgiveness and you're still in relationship, you got to release that person. You got to release them. Forgiveness is the equal of signing an IOU as paid in full. 
It's like canceling a mortgage or a debt that you owe to somebody or they owe to you. Matter of fact, I just did my taxes on Friday and I owe the state some money. Boy, it'd be nice to get an email tomorrow morning saying your debt is paid in full, right? How many of y'all believe in that for this tax season too? Come on, somebody. Now, I mean, I don't have much faith that that's going to happen. I'm just using that as an illustration that wouldn't it be nice, right? If, if the, you know, Louisiana Department of Revenue would email and say, hey man, your debt's taken care of. That's what forgiveness is. It's saying, listen, I clean your slate. I'm cleaning our slate, especially again if we're in a relationship with this person. And lastly, forgiveness is about memories. Most people often confuse forgetting with for, forgiving with forgetting, right? You've even heard it, forgive and forget. Well, that doesn't work. And, and there's a reason, scientifically why. Dr. Karen Leaf, who is a well-known expert on the human brain, says that our subconscious mind records every experience in a memory tree. We're back at a tree again. But did you know that? People say, man, I can't remember. You know that your brain literally remembers everything that's ever happened to you? It has. It's literally, it's, it's, it's stored away somewhere, but it's in there. Every tree is covered in emotions. So when someone mentions a person or an incident that hurts you, the emotions jump into your conscious mind as feelings. And that's why it's hard to just forget. You can forgive and release, but you know what? That, that emotion could come back up if somebody says something. You could walk into a room. You ever walked into a room and smelled something that brings you back to your childhood when you were like three or five? That shows you how powerful your brain is. There's, there's emotions, there's, there's memories locked in there that, I mean, to this day, when I drink a can of Coca-Cola in a can, it reminds me of fishing with my family when I was a little kid in the Chafalaya Basin. To this day, it's crazy. I remember we always had cans of Coca-Cola when we'd go fishing. Things like that, it's, it's crazy. But that's the truth. That's why you can't really just forget. See, the only way to get rid of those feelings is to plant a new tree with Scripture, with the Word of God. It will gradually overshadow the old memory with new truth. See, just like Moses used the tree to change their circumstance, we got to use the tree again. It's a, it's a picture of the cross, which ultimately we get the word of God because Jesus died. We get the living word and the written word to replace these trees of hurt and trauma in our brains. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joshua, uh, not Joshua, Joseph did this exact thing. Look at what he told his brothers that sold him into slavery and which ultimately landed Joseph in prison for something he didn't do. Genesis 50, 19 through 20. Then Joseph said to them, you meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done right now. See, he, 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 he could have continued to replay what happened. If you don't know the story, he became, he went from the, from the pit to the prison to the palace and became second in command and saved the lives of millions in both Egypt and his own family in Israel because of what his, 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 Brothers meant for harm. God turned it out to good. And so now instead of that hurt, he, re he keeps focusing on the positive instead of the negative. Here's the positive, brothers. I forgive you. He says, don't argue about this on your way home. He planted a new tree there. There's a brother in the church that I just talked to just last week that told me that he forgave somebody very close to him in his family. And it's been years. And he actually said that I was talking about forgiveness two weeks ago. And actually, my wife and I was meeting with him. And even his wife was like, I don't even remember you really talking about forgiveness. I was like, me neither. I might have hit it. just touched on it. But the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to forgive. And he went and he forgave this person from years and years. A week later, 
He gets a phone call to help another brother out, and he just began to take charge in that situation. His wife said, I've never seen him like this before. He just took charge in this situation, and he said, Brandon, it all started with me. I, something unlocked in me when I forgave her. Amen. He said, now I know exactly what I need to be doing with my life and how to fulfill my purpose, and forgiveness was the key. Come on, somebody. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, Look after each other so that none of you fall, fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Listen to this, corrupting many. See, when we know, we know that unforgiveness will lead to bitterness. And we see here from this scripture that bitterness both troubles you, but can corrupt many people you're in relationship with. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness and it corrupts your own heart, troubles you and your relationships. If bitterness has grown in your life, make a decision to forgive and your life and relationships will begin to be sweet again, just like the waters of Merah was for Moses and them to drink. Amen. Third and final thing. First, uh, you know, we must turn harshness into honor. We must forgive those other people's faults that have hurt us. And third, and this is specifically right now going back to marriage, but you must commit to covenant. You must commit Commit to covenant. Come on, let me get that out. Come on, somebody. Help him, Jesus. What is covenant? You, you may not be familiar with that word, and maybe you've heard it, but don't know exactly what it is. I just felt like I needed to unpack it a little bit. What is a covenant? When the Bible mentions a covenant, it's referring to a strong, solemn agreement between two parties. Biblical covenants are very different from the kind of agreements we make today. A covenant is more than a legal contract. Legal contracts have escape clauses, they have end dates, but a covenant was meant for a lifetime. And we see this. Biblical covenants always have a few elements. First, covenants make two people into one. We see this in Genesis 2.24. You've probably heard this at almost every wedding you've gone to. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Covenants also involved promises. Anytime there was a covenant made in the Bible, it involved promises. Also, that's why we have vows at our weddings, right? What are you doing? You're vowing, you're promising, hey, look, in sickness and in death, till death do us part. Even when your waistline goes and you get some gray hair and you get bald at the top, I'm still going to love you, right? I'm going to stay with you, right? Amen? Come on, I know. Look, I'm, I'm with you, Jay, in some other areas. So it, it involved uh, promises. Covenants, and this is very important for us, covenants are spiritually charged. When Jacob and Laban agreed to uh, keep the peace in Genesis, they didn't just say, okay, you're going to do this, and I'm going to do that. All right, cool, we're good, good. No, that's not what they did. No, they called on God himself as a witness. Now, this is serious. This is where we're getting really serious. David and Jonathan, also in the Old Testament, called God as a witness between them. Another reason why a lot of people, not everybody, but most of the people in here, matter of fact, there's a couple in here today I was just talking to, they're going to be getting married next year, and I'm going to be doing their wedding. And you know what? That's why a lot of people, they ask a pastor to marry them. Yes, they want the blessing, but I hope you know what you're doing is you're calling on God to be a witness of your wedding, of the not only the ceremony, but the marriage, the vows, and the covenant that you're making. If you've ever attended a wedding I did, I, I, I hammer covenant. I, I make it clear this is a covenant that you're making between you and God. See, covenants are to be taken seriously because two people are joining together based on little more than their words. They trust God to hold them accountable, which leads to my last uh, one, uh, last point of covenant. Covenants are not 
easily broken. Biblical covenants were not easily broken. The people making covenants in the Bible, listen to this, often slaughtered animals to demonstrate what would happen to one of them if they broke the covenant. Come on, somebody. They'd have a lot of different wedding ceremonies if we interacted that, right? Okay, go ahead and bring out the lamb and go, okay, this is... But that's biblical covenants. That's why they slaughtered animals. That's why they had sacrifices. They're saying, hey, you know, to break a covenant was a serious thing. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan calls on God to kill him if he doesn't alert David of danger. Jonathan and David, they were friends. And they had a covenant relationship. And he says, if I don't, if I don't alert you, if my dad coming to kill you, may God, God's going to kill me. That's how serious their covenant was. See, these covenants were between two people. The other kind of covenant, obviously in the Bible, is covenants between us and God. Talking about relationships with each other, but also us and the Lord. Matter of fact, much of the Bible story is shaped around the covenants between God and his people. That's why, in fact, the Old Testament and New Testament are named the way that they are because they detail the two major covenants with God and his people. So with all that in mind, let's read a couple of scriptures. Hosea 6, 6, for I desire, this is the Lord speaking, for I desire in delight and steadfast loyalty, faithfulness in covenant relationship rather than sacrifice. You think God's serious about a covenant? Now knowing what covenant is, he says, hey, listen, he's talking about husbands and wives here. He says, I desire and take delight when we stay faithful to our covenant in our relationships. Then Malachi 2, 14, because the Lord was a witness to the covenant between you and your wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant see if we are to live according to uh the the bible then we should be covenant people don't you think if you say i'm a bible believing christian then you should be a covenant person and our relationships can't be disposable church especially our marriage relationships it can't just be thrown away like this ain't working out. You're in a covenant. You made a covenant between God and you and God and each other. In her book, The Case for Marriage, Linda Wade says this, that less than 30% of divorces are actually from toxic circumstances such as adultery, abuse, and abandonment. Listen to this. 70% of divorces are just decisions by emotions and the divorce creates as many problems as it solves. And that's why later I believe in Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. He doesn't hate the people, but he says, I hate divorce because of the carnage that divorce leaves. And I'm sure almost everybody in this room have been touched in some way as a child or as an adult by divorce. And we know that. And so we see that people are like, man, I'm just this ain't working out. I'm out. It's like, no, we're in a covenant. It's not going to make it better just to run. Running never solves the problem. In fact, Linda reports in her book that 86% of unhappily married people who stick it out find five years later that their marriages are happier. So in other words, if you stick it out and you work on it, you call upon the name of Jesus to help, you work on these things, eventually you will have a happier marriage if you stick it out. She concluded, permanent marital unhappiness is surprisingly rare among couples who stick it out in the long run. Commit to the covenant that you made. See, the way that you stick it out is that you remember you made a covenant with God and your spouse. You know, I know a couple, my wife and I actually, that the wife actually said that she was uh, a couple of times thought about leaving her husband. 
And she said that one of the main reasons, it was one of two or three reasons that she never left was because she knew she made a covenant with God and with her husband. And her and her husband are still married to this day. Amen. And they're doing well. Amen. Come on. Because she, she understood covenant. She understood that this is not something that should be taken lightly. Godly covenants are based on forgiveness, commitment, compassion, grace, serving, and solid, unmovable love. That love that Pastor Todd talked about last week. Listen, and if you are in a toxic relationship before, I forget, marital relationship, and you have not signed up for our marriage conference in a couple of weeks, I challenge you to do so before you leave here today. You can get on the app before you leave this building and sign up. I encourage you to do it. It's, it's such great stuff. It's a simulcast. Actually, some of the staff's already been watching some of the, some of the teachings, incredible teachings. If you ever read or listened to anything from Jimmy Evans and he's put together a team of speakers, that's incredible. So we'll be here to host it, but we're, we're going to leave. Come on. I'm going to be in the front row taking notes just like you. Amen. Cause even if your marriage isn't toxic, don't you want to go to another level in your marriage? Right. I know I do. Again, my wife and I, as I shared, I mean, we're the best place we've ever been after 17 years. But man, I want to, it can keep getting better. Amen. So I want to encourage you. So if you are what feels like you're in a toxic relationship, in any relationship, not just marriage, it can be friends, family, coworkers, apply the tree of life, the cross of Jesus Christ into that cesspool of conflict. With the Lord's help and honor, forgiveness, and a commitment to covenant, that bitter, toxic water can turn into a clear, refreshing, sweet, relational river of life. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads and let's pray about that for a minute. Come on, just give that, that, give that relationship to the Lord right now. Whatever, you, you may be in one right now. And just ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to help you to honor that person that you're struggling with. Again, this is across the board. I know I hit on marriages a lot, but this, this is across the board in any relationship to honor one another, to forgive. If there's somebody that you're struggling with, it may be because you haven't forgiven that person. Although you may have said it, forgiveness is like honor. It's more than just words. It's a process of you releasing that person. If you're saying, you know what? I, I, Lord, I, I release them. And listen, forgiveness is a process. True unforgiveness is refusing to forgive. When you make it a point to say today, like right now, nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, okay, today I want to forgive this person, the process of forgiveness has begun. It may be hard. It may take time, but at least you're trying. The Lord will help you. True forgiveness is like true agape love. It could only be done by the Lord's help. So, I want you to just begin the process. Unforgiveness is refusing to forgive. But if you say, Lord, I know I need to forgive. Might be my spouse. Might be my, my sister, my brother, my coworker, my parent. Somebody in life. Somebody in this church sitting across the church from you. You may need to forgive. And it doesn't always mean you got to go to that person and tell them. Again, only do that if the Lord leads you to. But just release them today. And if you are married or you've made some type of covenant relationship, I got friends, I got three guys in my life that are covenant guys. Those guys, I, it don't matter what they do, I'm going to love them and they're going to love me. In essence, we've never said it, but it's like covenant relationships. Listen, our relationships shouldn't be dispensable, disposable. Again, especially in marriage, let's commit to covenant. Come on, just let the Lord know today, Lord, I'm recommitting my covenant to you, to my spouse. 
maybe to a close friend, a relative, right? Come on, these are our brothers, sisters, our cousins, aunts, uncles. Come on, we, this, these are relationships we don't want to throw away, church. And then my last question, with every head bowed, every eye closed, are you in a covenant relationship with God? See, Hebrews 9.15 says this, and just, you can listen, you don't have to look up. So Jesus is the one who has enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God so that those who accept the invitation will receive the internal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under the first covenant. Jesus died on the cross so we can be in a relationship, a covenant relationship with the Lord, not only through this life, but that's an eternal covenant. So let me ask you, will you accept the invitation to receive your internal inheritance, which is heaven? You may, be, you may have walked in this building today feeling the guilt and the shame of sin, maybe even the weight of unforgiveness. He died on the cross so you can be forgiven of your sin and to release you from the burden that you're carrying. Remember I said forgiveness is like saying I have an IOU that, that's wiped clean. Well, the truth is we did. There, there's, the Bible says we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. We owe God an eternal debt of our sin, but we couldn't pay it on our own. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. We owe God a debt and he made a way through his son to pay that debt. But the Bible says we have to make a choice. We've got to repent of our sins, which means to confess and turn away and then accept Jesus to our lives. Church, you hear every Sunday we get up and somebody else has passed away. Are you prepared for eternity? What if today was your last day on this planet? Would you be prepared? If you're not, and say, Brandon, I know I've been carrying the weight and the shame and the guilt of sin, and I don't know if I'm right with God, but this morning I want to be right. I want to make sure that I spend eternity in heaven. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Sir, I see your hand right here. Anybody else over here to my left? Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Even at home, I can't see you, but lift your hands. Over here to my right, hands going up. Come on, nobody looking around. Sir, I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Hands still going up. This is the most important relationship you can have is your relationship with God. I see your hand, man. Let's pray. The Bible says, if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. That word believe means to trust. It's not just a one-time prayer or thing. It's something we trust and we walk out every day. But just pray something along these lines. Lord Jesus, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I turn away from my sin today and I turn to you. I repent and I make you my Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, give me the grace and the strength, the wisdom and the power to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Why don't we celebrate with these that made that decision? Congratulations, y'all. For all of you that, that made the decision, congratulations. There's a card in the pew in front of you that says, I made a decision. Fill that out. Bring it to the info center. If you watch it online, there's a link that says connect card. Rest of you, why don't you go ahead and stand up. Let me pray a blessing over you as you go. And again, I just want to encourage you. If you're struggling relationships, listen, you may need prayer for something more specific. I encourage you to come down after we'll pray with you. If you're struggling in your marriage or you want to take your marriage to another level, please sign up for the marriage conference, the XO conference in a couple of weeks. Do that online. 25 bucks per couple. You can't beat that with a bat, right? Come on, that's best investment you'll make all year, I believe, right there. Father, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. 
And Lord God, for your word, I believe you're into restoration and healing of relationships. That was one of the reasons that you came. Lord, I pray that you would heal any toxic relationship. Lord, I pray that today that you've healed and I believe reconciled relationships back to you, that reconcile relationships back to each other in our marriages, in our homes, in our businesses, work, school, wherever it is, in our families, Lord, that we'll be more like you. Help us to be covenant people and people of your word. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. If you need anything, we'll be up here to pray with you. Have a great day.